Hello, friends. Welcome to the ATC Double Cut. A special guest is joining me today. It's Joe Galati, the Talking Greenkeeper. Hello, Joe. Micah, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. And if you're back, that kind of means one thing. It's time for us to go over the bombs, the posts that didn't do so well. Yeah, the bombs, the bombs. That Yeah, the posts that didn't do too well. I, again, I, I'm shocked by the list and what people aren't willing to read. It's kind of, it's kind of, it, it disappoints me. No, people, some of them are kind of obvious, but some of them are, are very just, what's the emoji? It's that it, it's kind of question. I just question why people wouldn't want to take two minutes to go ahead and read over a blog. Well, I have, I have a couple uh, speculations about that. Uh, when you have a list of, I, I don't know exactly how many blog posts I did last year, 65 or 70 or something. Some of them have to finish with more views and some of them have to finish at the bottom. So it's just, it's a, it's a fact of life and it's like a law of nature that, that a law of mathematics that it has to work out like that. Right. So, yeah. And because all of the stuff I write is so good, <laughs> then it, <laughs> some of the stuff that doesn't get a lot of views must be good too. <laughs> that's yes. That's one way I, to look at it. I think so too. I think that, and I think I've said this before on the bomb podcast is when I do podcasts that I think are going to be excellent and that I think are going to have a lot of listens and they don't. For example, I did one recently that I thought was going to get a lot of listens and this person, it didn't, it just did not. People aren't interested in listening to it. And I feel that it's one of the best podcasts that I've ever done since I've been doing the podcast, it was one that I prepared really hard for. It was one that I took probably the most seriously out of any podcast that I've ever done, uh, just out of mad respect for the guests that I was having on. And uh, it doesn't have the listens that said your podcast, the uh, annual holiday extravaganza with Michael Woods, which is close to a thousand listens by now. Wow, that's uh, yeah, that's awesome. Well, that was that was a good one, and I I wanted to it say really thank was. you for asking such good questions. Thank and you. You're I welcome. was in in good form to be able to answer those. So we got to talk a lot about the general philosophy of greenkeeping and turf grass maintenance, and some really innovative new stuff that a lot of people are getting great results with. So that was a good one. If anybody hasn't, uh, I'll put a direct link to that in the show notes, Joe, so that people can listen to that holiday extravaganza if they'd like to. Or whatever it was called, the annual holiday special. I gave it a different name this year. Uh, it was, I think, the Michael. I wanted to put your name first because when I, in my car, Micah, mm -hmm. uh, I have a Honda Ridgeline. And on Honda's, the full title of a podcast, if it's a 2019, I have a 2000, it doesn't show up. So I wanted to have your name first. And if you ever notice when you listen to a podcast on Apple, the, the title will scroll across the screen. So I want to make, I didn't want to put the annual holiday uh, episode with the annual holiday special with Michael Woods. 
I made sure your name was first, the Micah Woods annual holiday special. That's how I titled it. And uh, honestly, Micah, it was one of my favorite episodes that I've ever done. It, I thought just the the content that we talked about, the conversation that we had, the flow of it, the energy, the how at the end we kind of just went off. And I, I just I've listened to it three or four times since it's been published right around right before Christmas. And uh, it's probably the episode I'm most proud of. I, th I think it was a really just excellent episode. And if it, if you haven't listened yet, which I'm sure most of the people that are watching this or listening to this podcast, they probably listen to it. But if there's somebody out there that hasn't listened to that podcast episode yet, I highly recommend it. It was, I don't know, pinnacle talking greenkeeper. It was it was it was a fun one, uh, and I I think the I think as far as the views go, uh, and you mentioned the the episode that you really prepared for, and you thought like you had such respect for the guests, and you thought like a lot of people would want to listen. Um, I find that we end up attracting a certain core audience, um, and like for me, I. Uh, for, for, for example, uh, I have a lot of people that follow me that like to read, um, uh, because I, I've been writing my blog since 2009. So that's, uh, 15 years now that I've been writing what was the viridescent blog. And, and now I just call it like the ATC blog. So I've got well over a thousand posts that I've written and I write magazine articles and I write various things and I send out email newsletters. And uh, when I send out an email newsletter, it's not by my choice that I can track the clicks because I used to just want to send out an email just to all my friends without any of this tracking shit in there. But then uh, they, they force you so you don't get flagged as a spam sender to use some kind of service. And these services show which, uh, which links get clicked. So, for example, I recently sent out my ATC update to over a thousand email addresses for people that uh, subscribe to that email newsletter. So, I sent out that ATC update just uh, three days ago or something, and I can see which links that I put in that email newsletter got clicked on. And they're not people don't click on the videos, they don't click on the podcasts, they click on things that they can read. And, and they click through to some of the top blog posts. And I've, I've noticed it's interesting how people click on the, on the top blog posts. So I think like for me, a lot of the people that are, obviously they're reading a newsletter and then they want to read something else. And that's, and, and also people like the, the technical stuff. They tend not to like my golfing stories or something, but if it's something that they think is practically useful for them, they, they'll click on it. Like last week, I wrote a new blog post about uh, sand top dressing amounts. Two ways to figure out good sand top dressing amounts. One is using uh, a resource from Pace Turf, their growth potential and top dressing spreadsheet, which you can find at paceturf.org. And that, that's one way to do it based on your site temperatures. And another way to do it is based on OM246 test results. So you check how OM246 total organic material changes over time. And you can calculate uh, based on what your target organic matter content is in the soil, how much sand 
you would need to apply. So, so that's very practical. And that kind of thing gets a lot of clicks. A lot of people uh, will want it. And so what I've come to realize is my audience tends to like technical things, uh, things that they can use. And they're, they're not so concerned with my literary output uh, if, if I'm saying, I took a golfing holiday to this exotic island in Japan and played a golf course that no one knows of, and it's not even on a map. And I'll, I'll be like, this is the most amazing story. You know, I went with Andrew Thompson, the son of Peter Thompson, the Australian sporting legend, and like just, uh, you know, playing with hickory clubs at this famous, or I mean, it, I'm playing... To me, it's kind of famous because it's so hidden and, and secret. Yeah, I caught it. I caught what what I can't say it. My Japanese is terrible. I could. What part of Japan is that? That's well. I know that story. I love it. Uh, that one is. It's in the Goto Islands, um, and there's a couple golf courses that you don't find on a map, and um, so that. It's, it's but I know what you're saying. I, yeah, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying about that story with Andrew Thompson is so interesting to you, and you think it's this great, interesting. And it's interesting to me because that's what I like. I like stories like that, and I, it's the same thing, Michael, with the podcast. Everybody likes when you're on. Everybody likes when Chris Tritabaugh's on. Listen, Matt Schaefer, who I just had on is almost near 500 listens and it hasn't even been seven days yet. And that's people are interested in that. Steven, Steve Rabideau, that one got a lot of listens, the big names, they get the listens because people they're recognizable in our industry and people want to hear it, hear them talk about how they approach greenkeeping just in the same way. When Micah Woods is posting something that's technical, they're going to read it because what you post technically is usually good information that we can use to make us be better greenkeepers. Well, I think that's a perfect time for us to segue into this list of the bombs, uh, Joe. So um, we've done this for a couple of years now. Yeah. And, and, and so the idea with the ATC double cut is to talk about, to give a, a second treatment, a, a second cut, a, extra discussion of something that I've written about on the blog. And I've got uh, this post that I do every year, 10 posts no one read last year. So I, I look at how many people uh, or how many page views there were, how many, how many reads, how, how many times people went to this page for each of the blog posts that I posted during the calendar year. So this was from uh, all the posts in 2023, and these ones got the fewest views. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to talk with you? And so we did this a couple of years ago because you like some of these. Remember, there was that one about the streetcar, the grass on the streetcar lines in Kumamoto, oh Japan. So good. That was a great one. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, and and then there's these uh, trains that have real mowers on them. Like, yeah, that's got to be the insane. most expensive mower in the world. Uh, and, and it just cuts with a real mower, the train drives and, and, and it's awesome. So I embedded those kind of videos in there and stuff. And to me, that's fascinating. And just like, it just doesn't, it didn't get any reads. So I thought, you know, if I can talk with somebody that can also give some input on this, we can have a conversation about it. Um, so we kind of make it a tradition 
I think this is the third year that third year yeah, yeah third year and, it, and it's right around our birthday we'll be both celebrating a birthday on the 29th of january for those of you that don't know mike and i have the same birthday yeah and now the whole world knows it joe so uh yeah yeah <laughs> we we have the same birthday and that is a a nice connection between us two of the most successful podcasters in this industry <laughs> there you go so it must uh, be something about that day but go ahead let's get it with these tempos yeah so the tempos no one read last year and i uh i posted this on on the first of january and uh these get like uh 10 times fewer views than the top post so i put a link in there to the um to the post that shared the top 10 posts and the the average post the medium post in the top 10 list got 725 views during 2023 but the medium post on this list only got 76 and that's just page views and you figure that's not not all 76 people that went to that page actually read in all the way through the post so um basically we can just say nobody read it now of course uh joe you get my email newsletter um with the yes. full text of each blog. So a lot of people read the blog in an email format and they don't actually have to go through to the website. So the, it gets a lot considerably more uh, than what these numbers are, but this is just like how many people visited the webpage. So I usually uh, click on the link for just for your reference. Whenever I get that email, I click on the link and go to the website. And I recommend that and I appreciate that. And the reason why I recommend it is because the formatting and the images and the charts and any equations and stuff like that, not like I put a lot of equations in my uh, blog post, but sometimes I do. And, and they format properly on the website. They don't always format properly and the pictures don't look as good. The pictures don't expand to such a large uh, size on in the email. So if you really want to see the full content, you want to go to the, um, go through to the website. Yeah, that's what I do. That's what and I do for sure. Yeah. How, uh, how many, I wonder how many new people we can get to sign up for that ATC blog post by email newsletter. I hope we can get, yeah, I hope we can get, I don't know what's, what would be a good number? 20, 30, Ooh. 20 would, would 20 be, be aggressive? Well, right, right now it's like there's like 665 people something like that who who let are me, subscribed to that list let me ask you this micah do you still oh which is one of my things that i wrote down because during the clay Payne interview i i i think i started off every question with that let me ask you this and i felt like that it was very annoying tick so let me ask you this do you still get emails from people saying they just discovered you um um i don't get a lot no okay um um but yeah every now and then every now and then yeah me too i'm getting a few i just got one maybe a couple weeks ago i still get the occasional Oh my gosh, I just found your podcast. 
it is awesome can you send me a sticker <laughs> i get those every once in a while i got one of those recently it was really cool so yeah that's that's awesome i i i love that um yeah that's how you contacted me i and i think we've told this story before i got an email yeah. out of the blue and you and i thought it's a joke or or like like somebody's trying to spam spam me or something and and you're like i'm a greenkeeper in delaware I just read your book, A Short Grammar of Greenkeeping. It's amazing or something. And I'm like, yeah, totally. yeah, no, nobody ever tells me that. So that was uh, that was a, a nice introduction. Awesome. And I'm like, oh, oh, he's serious. He's he's being <laughs> honest. That was pretty cool. <laughs> he's just not fucking with me. No, that's yeah. awesome. No, that was cool. That was that was quite some time ago. That was uh, 2016, 2017. Yeah, some something like that. But yeah. that was sort of that was sort of like uh I've just discovered you and it was. You know, I never I had never know I had no idea about MLSN or any of that. And, and listen, the Turfgrass Zealot, Dave Wilbur, his podcast mm -hmm. was where I first heard you. So and it's all I mean, I'll probably tell the story again. It's so funny. I'm going to interview for a job. I call Armin Suni. Because oh, this this story again, yeah. So like, I call Armin Suni. No, no, no. This is different. So I call Armin Suni and I say, "Hey, I'm going to interview for this job. I know you interview with people. Can you give me some tips for how to do a good interview?" And he was nice enough to give me some nice tips. But he said, "Listen, I just did a podcast with Dave Wilbur called The Turf Gazelle on on Turfneck. Go listen to that." I just did a whole episode on it. So go listen to that. And I did because I was listening to podcasts then a lot. And then I was like, this is really good. So I then I found you and I then the frankly speaking and listened to all these people that I had never heard all these voices and these messages I've never heard before and learned about MLSN from ironically you who I found out about you from Armin Suni of all people in a non-direct way. It's kind of oh, crazy. And now then, that's, that's a nice story. Yeah. So I don't know if I've ever told that. I probably have told that story, but yeah, it was just like, it's kind of funny. The reason that I know about MLSN is from the person who thinks it's fucking beat is Armin Suni. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how some people, uh, figure the math of fertilizer. Um, <laughs> Because the grass, know, the grass, so complicated. It's like I really enjoyed the Matt Schaefer episode, and I hope a lot of people will listen because uh, they can find out that there's a big difference between the way uh, Matt Schaefer thinks about turf grass management and the way that I think about turf grass management. And of course, there's a lot of different ways to get results, and Matt pointed that out. And uh, if somebody's getting results, that's fine. Uh, you don't have to get results my way you can get results in a lot of different ways but man that whole balancing the soil and and thinking micronutrients are important and stuff it kind of goes against it's, it's like the exact opposite of the way i think and to me it's just like man that makes it complicated and it's sort of like uh to to me that kind of thing of trying to balance the soil it means you're adding a lot of things that are not staying in the soil um and so if you and so if you do the math on it, you realize you're wasting that product. And and I think people that really get into that, 
is like, I feel like they're not doing the math because they don't realize that they're wasting the product. And of course, then they get results because you're doing a lot of other things like rolling, irrigating properly, applying pesticides very carefully and only at the right time. And, and you got really highly trained staff operating equipment. Well, you're doing all kinds of things. And by the way, you're also wasting all this fertilizer that you're putting out. And then the grass gets better. And then you say, oh, it's because we're balancing the soil. That's a big part of the program. I would say, no, you're wasting the, the product and you're getting good results because you're irrigating properly and you're applying pesticides properly and your uh, mowers are set properly and you're rolling and your staff are, are working very well. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And he said at the beginning, he said when we were at Augusta, we noticed that potash didn't say, didn't say present in the so soil for that long of a time. He said that at the beginning of the podcast, and then he goes on and said, we balance the soil to the boron percentage or whatever. He made some reference to boron. And listen, I pushed back a little bit, and I wanted to be polite because, yeah, there are many ways to get to a final result. Uh, but I'm getting kind of tired of that answer. Uh, that's Anytime I push back, that's the answer I get. It's any time I question every anything, I get the idiom of, oh, there's many ways to skin a cat. And it's just like after four years of, or no, seven years, my fault of doing MLSN for God, talk about math, Micah. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> it's just, listen, I'm, I get good results. I, 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 the results I get are phenomenal from implementing MLSN, from going with limited N applying urea as my nitrogen source ammonium sulfate though just using those two sources as my nitrogen source not using a designer spoon feeding program um and during the interview i this these are the things that i'm thinking about and i'm and i'm and i'm trying to figure out a way to sort of push back in a way that's not gonna make him feel uncomfortable or make myself feel uncomfortable i didn't want to be rude because he is my guest he, he's taking time out of his busy day to talk to an idiot jerk like me. I don't want to piss him off. But at the same time, I was getting agitated because he's saying that he's a minimalist greenkeeper, but yet you're sand capping your fairways. You're using all these nutrients. You're, you're putting all this energy into balancing the soil. I just wanted to tell him that it, to me, that just doesn't sound too like it's a minimalist approach. And then it got me thinking even more of, listen, gosh, I feel like I could go to Marion tomorrow, Micah, and I could be the golf course superintendent at Marion and implement the program, implement a true minimalist program, whatever you want to call it. I could implement, let's go this, the grammar of greenkeeping mindset to Marion and be fucking highly successful and that's what it's all about and so you know what yeah there's a million ways to do it but guess what i'm gonna go to marion and i'm gonna implement the grammar of greenkeeping mindset and i'm gonna get fantastic results and we're gonna put that money into the people we're gonna put that money into all these other things that we'd rather put the money to instead of trying to balance the soil but unfortunately, I, I'm going to be 52 on Monday, and uh, not too many high-end places are looking to hire 
somebody in their 50s, but it really got me going. It really got me thinking about that and just saying, you know what? Like, no, I could go to Marion. I could go to Cricket Club. I could go to Pine Valley and I could have success with the grammar of greenkeeping mindset. Yeah, that's, I, I think that's what's going to happen. Um, but it's, it's when, when people like Matt Schaefer retire and, and a younger generation can take over and then eventually things change. But you can tell from listening to that episode, it, it sounded to me like not a lot of people really question Matt a lot. Um, and, and maybe he just gets, you could tell that, I don't know that he's really thought through all of those things that about the fertilizer so much, because it sounded like he hadn't really heard a lot of counter arguments to what he was saying. And, and I guess people disrespect him so much because he's been so successful that maybe they, they don't, uh, question him so much. And I think it takes, it's the same way with professors. And there's that famous, uh, quote from some uh, scientist, not not in the turf grass field, but they said that science uh, advances one funeral at a time. Because you, what happens is you get these famous scientists, and everybody respects their ideas, and then they are very invested in their ideas, and so they tend to say, gravity works this way, <laughs> fertilizer works this way, green speed works this way, dollar spot works this way. Uh, salinity management works this way. So you, you get the people that are very well respected and, and, and they get to a, a position of power uh, and, and authority and those ideas then persist as long as that person's alive. But uh, <laughs> after they die, then you can get some change. Uh, and so, so whether it's retire or um, you know the, that, that quote about science advances one funeral at a time. There's something to that. And so, so you're mentioning, uh, you know, you're going to be 52 years old. Uh, I'm getting up to uh, approaching 50 also. And I think what happens is if, if these ideas are good about the grammar of greenkeeping, uh, it's the younger generation that can go implement them and, uh, and, and improve it and uh, make it work. So, so I do have some optimism. Uh, some I do too, for I'm, sure. I'm, for I'm, sure. I have an expectation that this stuff will, will get used all over the world. It already is getting used all over the world. Uh, and sometimes then there's just like a reminder that it's not quite as widespread as, as I would have thought. I'll, I'll mention one more thing, and then we will get into these posts. Uh, Chad Allen, who, who is in Indiana at uh, Chatham Hills, uh, he's the golf course superintendent there. He went to Penn State, and he he contacted me a few years ago, and he said, yeah, he, he just kind of discovered MLSN and this stuff. He didn't learn about it at Penn State, and uh, he was pretty excited to know that there was all this information that I was putting out. Um, and he just won the Kaminsky Award for social media leadership. So congratulations, 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 Chad. Yeah, way to go, Chad. The Kaminsky award. And listen, I love Penn State. I Ben McGraw is one of my favorite people. I love him. Kaminsky for all his idiosyncrasies and just his weirdness. There's something about him that's very likable. And just I, and the people that have graduated from Penn State. Listen, I'm a Rutgers graduate, and there's that rivalry there. But listen, I don't even care because I. I dig the whole Penn State scene. It's a good scene. Yeah, it's a it's a great turf grass program 
Um, but sometimes, uh, you know, they, they're going to teach what's in the textbook and not necessarily, uh, you know, the fact that I am in Thailand and I don't work for a university, uh, kind of, uh, makes my ideas not quite as mainstream. Um, and so that's just the way it is. Well, speaking of not, uh, mainstream, let's see what was actually in these blog posts, Joe. Uh, all right, cool. Number 10. This is a nice one. Here they are counting down from number 10 to the post with the fewest views in 2023. Number 10 was shade effect of clouds looks at the reduction in photosynthetically active radiation on a June day with zero hours of sunshine and also links to two web apps that can find PPFD and DLI for any location in the world. This one is, I don't know, maybe it's too technical. Um, It was really simple. Okay. So it was simple. So I figured I calculated my DLI today, Micah, for Mm -hmm. Wilmington, Delaware. Yeah. On January twenty seventh, two thousand twenty four, with no clouds, the the DLI today would have been twenty five point seven. Yeah, that's that's higher than I would have thought. Uh, I would yeah. have, I I would have guessed at like eighteen, but I I trust that that app. So you went to the app and calculated. Yeah, I went it? to the app. Yeah, it was so simple. It's so simple. Yeah, All you ahead. have to do is put your latitude in the day of the year, and it's going to tell you. I think. Oh, so you went to that baseball game, right? Well, go ahead. We'll do that. And I want to get back. I have a comment about that baseball stadium. Well, let me see. Uh, is this showing on the screen? The PPFD yeah, totally. calculator? Yeah, yeah. So I have the. I actually have the longitude and the uh, yeah and the latitude available if you want to punch it in. All right. So what's your what's your latitude? Thirty nine point seven eight seven six. Point. Well, how about seven, just seven eight seven six seven six? Yeah. And what's your longitude? Seventy five sixty nine sixty six. Say that again. Seventy five. Hold on, I might have a six. It might be a no. Sixty nine sixty six. Seventy five. Point sixty nine sixty six, yeah. So so f- sixty nine sixty six. Okay. Yep. So a DLI twenty six. Oh, I I need to do negative here. Yeah. Okay, maybe there that's why I didn't. Okay. No, no, it's yeah, it's twenty six. I get twenty six. Did right, you adjust any settings? Twenty five point seven. So maybe it just changed. I don't know. That's pretty close, right? No, it would just change by the latitude. Because if we, if see, if I'm changing the latitude, it uh-huh. it, it changes it. But yeah, that, so that's really useful if if you have a sunny if you have a sunny day. So um, yeah, and it was sunny today. It was pretty nice. And so, so. I calculated this for Tokyo because it was really cloudy. And I know in Florida, it's been really cloudy lately. And they've been talking a lot about their DLI suppression and um, or reduction from what it would normally. So, I mean, it's interesting to know that those apps are out there um, and that I, I think it's it's interesting to know that those apps are available um, to to make these calculations. Yeah, I 
awesome. I, I mean, really simple. Really simple. It took me how long to take us to do that. I, I mean, it would have been way quicker had I not been uh, reciting you the numbers of the longitude and latitude. But let's get back to that baseball field real quick, Micah. So I'm looking. Can you scroll up to the baseball field picture? Um, I can. Uh, so everybody, uh, if you're watching this, then you can see it. And if you... Um, well, if, here, I'll describe if, it if you're listening. If, if you're listening, uh, there's going to be a link to the video in the show notes, so you can you can check it out. All right. All right. So you're at the, what's it called, the Mackay? How do you pronounce the name of that stadium? Meiji Jingu Stadium. Babe Ruth played there. Meiji Jing Stadium. So, Micah, I was a catcher. Okay. I played baseball from the time I was eight years old until I was 19. Every summer, played baseball, right? Mm-hmm. And that area between home plate and the backstop is scaring the shit out of me. Look at the distance on that. If you have a pass ball and there's a run on third base, you're fucked. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of room there. That uh, it it might be because of my uh, the the angle of the camera lens or something. But no, yeah, there's I, a I lot mean, of room there. I, I mean, think just there's look some at space. The- yeah, so for every, I would say there's probably, that's a good 20 yards, I would say. I would say that's a good 20 yards, which is a lot. That's a that's a big gap. I mean, great for foul balls if you're a catcher and somebody pops up and, and you got to throw the mask out of the way and, and go get that that catcher. You know, you, you do the basket catch when you're a catcher for foul balls behind home plate because they get that weird backspin on it. Uh, but Dude, like if there's a runner on third and I got a pitcher who's a little wild, man, I'm not liking that. I'm not liking that area between home plate and the backstop, dude. A lot of area there. Well, that's uh, – I, I don't imagine at your age you play catcher anymore. No, not not catching, not playing catcher anymore. But anyway. Oh, I, those when are I, some sweet clouds, aren't they? They are. They are. I mean, great day. Like, yeah, excellent, excellent. And listen, good blog. Good information. What a good app to use. Well, great. Well, so that's that is pretty useful. And it's like, yeah, I can understand. Like light is not so exciting, and and par PPFD DLI, those kind of abbreviations or or initialisms uh, are can be a little bit intimidating. And sometimes the units of photosynthetic light are not uh, not so exciting to deal with. But uh, I just think this is something that if you're a professional turfgrass manager, it's useful to be able to quantify the shade, quantify the photosynthetically active radiation so you can make better arguments about uh, adjustments to maintenance practices or adjustments to, to the shade itself. I agree. It's, it's a good blog. Number nine. Converting between soil test extraction methods shares another reference for how to do this for Midwestern soils. And this particular blog post uh, is something that uh, you meant. You, you asked earlier if I get many people emailing asking uh, or, or letting me know that they've just found out about me or just discovered my, my YouTube channel or, or podcast or website or whatever. Uh, and I don't get a lot of those. I get many more emails saying, I've got a soil test result with this extractant. How can I relate it to Malik 3? 
I've got I've got I've got soil test results, but they're not by this. Can I still use MLSN? I get a lot of questions like that, and there there are all kinds of ways to convert. I put that in the MLSN cheat sheet, which is easy to find uh, on the ATC website. And there's a lot of research about this because this is common. There's there's uh, different soil test extractants used all over the world. Within the United States, there are all kinds of different extractants used. I, I can send I can send a sample to Brookside Labs and get it tested for potassium probably in in uh, five to ten different ways. I could get it tested for phosphorus in five to ten different ways. Uh, so it's there are a lot of options and it's useful to be able to know when you can convert when you can't convert and if you are going to convert what the conversion factors are so i like to share that kind of stuff that i can always refer to when people ask me those questions next time i can just say hey i've got a blog post about it check this out this might be applicable for you i remember when i heard dave wilber's podcast about mlsn and was so intrigued by it that I said, Hey, I need to start implementing this. That the first year I was at New York Country Club, the soil reports were done in pounds per acre, right? Mm -hmm. That was that was the and I had to convert pounds per acre to parts per million to understand the MLSN guidelines of where all the nutrients were in relation to uh, the MLSN guidelines. And I remember thinking oh i'll email micah maybe and ask him or but i just googled it and it came up with the equation i forget what it is off the top of my head but i'm sure it's in that blog how to do that mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it was simple it was really really simple and uh it was a nice little winter project i remember converting all these soil tests from parts per or pounds per acre to parts per million it was awesome so this would be a great great blog post if you're in that situation like i was if just say you're taking over a golf course mid-season and you go to their soil tests it's in it and it's in a form that you don't really understand hey listen go to this blog post and you'll be able to convert into a number that makes sense to you very good and yeah i i recommend to everybody it's much better to look at your soil test results in uh parts per million, uh, which is going to be in the United States, it's on a mass basis. So that's milligrams per kilogram of soil. So like milligrams of potassium, for example, per kilogram of soil. If you're getting this test done in the UK, it's more common that they express it on a volume basis. So they'll express it typically, it's also parts per million, but now it's milligrams per liter. And they're saying per liter volume of soil, um, how many milligrams of nutrient do you have? Um, and, and so that's slightly different than the American PPM, but uh, once, once you, 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 you can figure those out also. Um, but the whole pounds per acre thing, and in fact, I answered a question about that yesterday, and I'm, I'm planning to make an update uh, on the Pace Turf website about that. So if you're a Pace Turf subscriber, you should see something about that soon. Um, about pounds per acre. I just don't like it because pounds per acre, somebody, somebody said, uh, the, the, this person wrote to me and said, Matt Schaefer. 
Now, no, it's I, I won't name the person, but it's a uh, it's, it's somebody who's a PaceTurf subscriber and had some questions about uh, about converting between parts per million and pounds per acre, and the person said, uh, "If I use the standard conversion, which is a fact." And we're back, Joe. Uh, I am famous for these uh, uh, crashes. <laughs> so I guess that's the price we pay from doing it thousands and thousands of kilometers away. No, no, no. This is this Meters. is pure. This is pure hardware. Um, so uh, this is this is the uh, the hardware that I'm working with is is not stable. That's all right. It's we're still getting it done. We're getting it. Listen, we're we're making this happen. So, so I'm psyched to be here. I, I crashes and all. It's not a big deal to me. So, so we were talking about the uh, ppm to pounds per acre conversion. Yes, and yeah. I said that there's a PaceTurf subscriber that wrote asking and saying, "Hey, I read that you can multiply ppm by two or divide pounds per acre by two, and you'll to convert between them." And yet the information given on the PaceTurf website, as far as making some MLSN calculations, that conversion factor doesn't work. And it's, it's because the assumption with a pounds per acre is that you're taking a soil sample that's 6.7 inches deep. But I recommend for turf grass that you take a soil sample that's four inches deep. Right. So um, it, it, it's based on agriculture and the acre furrow slice and uh, I, I just don't see a reason to make the assumption that the pounds per acre is it, that's based on how much is in a 6.7 inch uh, depth. So uh, I, I prefer to just look at the concentration directly. Anyway, uh, you can read more about that at Pace Turf coming up pretty soon. Sounds good. Yeah, it's a good blog. Good blog. It should have more reads. <laughs> Well, let's let's see. So that was number nine. We've still got a bit to go, but we can go through some of these quickly, Joe, like uh, number eight uh, seminars and conferences, past, present and future. That's a, a new conference website uh, with video and translation. That's for the Thai conferences coming up. Um, and I was so I was pretty impressed that I could make this uh, uh, this website could be translated. So it's a, it's a, it's a new website for the Thai conference, uh, that's coming up March four to six. And, and I was impressed that I, I could have that website in English, Thai, Japanese, and Vietnamese now. Scroll down a few, go scroll down a little bit. I have a comment about this, uh, particular blog. Okay. Right there. Perfect. Micah, that hair, in the picture for your for uh, oh. your uh, media picture, uh huh, yeah, phenomenal. I, that is a phenomenal Micah look. I know that you loved switching up your looks. That was the one thing that struck me about this blog. I, I just couldn't get over the mane. It's a mane, and it's you look, you look like you should be the lead singer in Goose. I, I you just I look phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Well, thank Loving you, it. Rise of anybody that's Devin Carroll. Watch out. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it, it, Bruce Williams, Devin Carroll, Michael Woods, Michael Beckin. We're the main speakers at this conference. It's going to be quite a, uh, a good event. And uh, I'm, I'm growing my hair out a little bit now. So um, you, can, you can see that I'm kind of going for that look again because I think that was a nice look.
Um, you look great. You look great. When was that? When was that picture taken? Do you remember or no? Uh, uh, maybe. Mm, I, I don't remember exactly. Maybe 2019. Um, maybe it was 2019. Looks great. Thank Looks you. Great. Another thing about that, let me ask you. So that's for that's in Thailand, correct? Yeah, that that's the Sustainable Turfgrass Management in Asia conference. Okay, so there's four English speakers right now. Will they speak English, and will there be a translator? How does that work? Uh, the slides will be translated to English and Thai, so the the slides might have two languages on them, and. There will be probably headphones with simultaneous translation, so people who want to hear it in Thai can hear it in Thai. But this conference is a very um, international conference, and we have usually people from about 20, well, usually from more than 20 countries, and um, this is a, uh, like, so far we're looking at people coming from Canada, United States, United Arab Emirates, Singapore, Australia, Philippines, Hong Kong, Japan, um, India, Bangladesh. Uh, there's people coming from all over, probably from the UK. It's quite the lineup. I it, wish I could make it. Yeah, I, I, I think you, you should. So anyway... It's, it's a nice website, but I totally understand. Uh, I totally understand why people may not be so excited uh, about. Let's see. What are, what are we looking at here? I just deleted the seminars and conferences, yeah. past and present and future. Yeah. So, um, so the. Uh, I mean, I understand why people are not if like if they're not going to come to that conference, they're not going to like click through to that. So they they wouldn't be so excited. Now, number seven, I thought was really quite a nice one about the tournament diary from yeah, KBC Augusta. That's, a, that's an excellent one. And uh, so this one, I think just like people think it's not relevant to them, maybe because it's on Zoysia Greens, maybe because it's in a different country. But I've learned a lot from working at the KBC Augusta tournament and from doing my consulting work with Kea golf club and Andrew McDaniel. And, you know, a, a lot of the stuff that I recommend now, like clipping volume and OM two, four, six, I've, I've either learned about that there or been inspired about that. Uh, and by checking the tournament conditions year after year, um, it helps me refine what the utility and use of these things are. So, like, like for me, it's really interesting, but obviously not interesting to everybody else. But there's some really cool facts about that tournament that were different from the ones that you did in the past. Uh, the The data was different, and it was because Andrew did a cultivation. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's softer, uh, definitely, and the green speed's slower um, because because uh, the grass was better the bobble test was much better this year uh, so i like i'm sharing all that and explaining it and i don't know that in a podcast is is you know it, it's hard to talk about that other blog post but i encourage people to read it because it's exactly that they did cultivation and that brought the organic material down but it made the surfaces softer 
and it but it did make the grass healthier and and then the surfaces were smoother but because they were growing more the speed wasn't as fast and i put that all in data and it all makes sense and it's really predictable and yet it's it's probably not so predictable if you're not measuring those data so sometimes people just go do this work without really measuring and uh yeah. Did the players know a difference? Did they did they notice a difference in the playability? Oh yeah, yeah. I I talked with uh, Eric Sugimoto, um, and and uh, you know he's he's a pro, and it, it was interesting talking with him because he'd played the previous year, and we were talking about the conditions this year, and he guessed that we'd put a lot of topsoil or something on. Um, so he you know he doesn't know the exact greenkeeping yeah. terms but he could tell that the surfaces were a lot smoother um than they were the previous year and it's it's right they they had put much more top dressing than in previous years another thing that i found interesting about this blog was the afternoon and morning differences right the the differences in uh the bobble test mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i was fascinated that Bentgrass, there was more of a variation in Bentgrass because you had done a tournament in, in Europe. I can't remember the name of the place off the top mm -hmm. of my head because of the sea, right? I can't. Um, it's Kamiral. Yes. Okay. So the Zoysia, there was like a point three or point like point three difference in in the bobble test on every third roll or something or. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the, in the, with the bent grass, it was different. Yeah. So, so, more. yeah. So the zoysia, the leaf blades are really stiff, which means it's quite difficult to get a good roll. Um, but because those leaves are stiff and because the surfaces are relatively firm, it doesn't change much during the day. So you can put 140 rounds of golf and 140 caddies and however many pitch marks there are. And, and you put all that traffic on it. And if you check the bobble test, the way that that bobble test works out, what it means to, to change by 0 0.3 over the course of the day means for, if you roll the ball three times, two of those rolls are going to be the exact same smoothness and trueness as you saw before that play ever went on it. And on one of those rolls, you could expect to see an additional chatter or an additional snake. So it, that's, that's a minor drop because two, of your, two out of three rolls are going to be the same as they were in the morning in terms of smoothness and trueness. And what I noticed with Creeping Bank Grass at that tournament that I did in Spain, uh, the, because the leaf blades are a little bit softer and maybe the surface is just a little bit softer then you would expect for every single roll, for every single roll you would expect in the afternoon to measure an additional chatter or snaking event, which means it's quite noticeable. It's not that you get the same roll in the afternoon as you do in the morning. It's noticeably worse. Where in on these zoysia greens, at, excuse me, at, at Kea Golf Club, um, during this tournament, on 66% of the rolls, it would be the same smoothness and trueness. Yeah, I found that fascinating. I, I would have never have guessed that. If you would have asked me 
what surface remains smoother throughout the day, I would have just automatically assumed bent grass. I would have never assumed the crunchy zoysia, which was another thing about this uh, blog post that you mentioned, the, the crunchiness, and you did videos that could be linked uh, to YouTube about it were, were pretty cool. I, I thought this was like, this was a very modern piece. This is when you go read an article, I'm a, I'm a subscriber to The Athletic, and when you go read an article on The Athletic, there'll be links and, and tweets and, and videos and graphs just like this. And, and that's what's really cool about this blog is that it's very modern. Mm-hmm. It's not just a read and you're done. There are ex- there's all these things that you can like all these externals. Oh, the fan vest, awesome! Like, do they have those? The huh? Do they have those in in the U.S.? They they I must. I've not seen a fan vest. I've not really. I've seen they have vests that keep you warm, okay. right? They're they're heater packs that keep you warm. But yeah. I've never seen one that keeps you cool. That's pretty dope. Yeah, so I had it things, in my notes. These things are pretty common in in Asia, and uh, it it is hot. It is hot in Japan in August. It's hot in a, in China in August. It's hot in a lot of East and Southeast Asia in August. And it's in these places to work outside. It's common to have these uh, vests or or jackets that have a fan in them to to blow air so that keeps you cool and so Do they I, work uh i've not worn one but i'm 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 sure they work i see a lot of people wearing it uh for for much of the year so i'm i'm pretty confident that they work no I, that that's what i loved about this blog that it was it was just modern it felt like a modern piece that i would see in athletic where you have all these external links explaining what you're writing about which i thought was rad well great and i i wish that that one would get more views that's the one on the tournament diary um because i i put a lot of information in there that's about playability and it's about how the maintenance work affects the playability and i just can't really overstate um how important that is and i talk with the golf course owner at kea golf club uh, or, or the president of the club, and uh, he uh, he's quite interested in this kind of stuff. He he wasn't so pleased with the cultivation that got done. He wasn't so pleased with the amount of sand top dressing that got applied. Um, he was pleased with the playability during the tournament. But the whole idea is, how can we do it better next year? How can we figure out a way to to make the golfers happy, make the president of the club happy? Um, and, and still have the desired conditions. And it's, it's something that the grammar of greenkeeping, which we're applying there, uh, about trying to manage the growth rate and manage the playability, um, and, and collecting some key data. I'm explaining it all. I'm, I'm sharing what we're doing and here's the progress this year. And then comparing it to last year, comparing it to other places. To me, that's really fascinating. And, uh, I, I think for some people, they, they would like it. So I was, I don't know, a little bit surprised that that particular post didn't, uh, didn't get very many views. Yeah. I, I love the tournament diary. I look forward to that one every year. That one's great. And, uh, yeah, I I don't understand because it is, it's modern. Like I said, there's all these external links, uh, and 
it just a lot of information there and just oh you cultivate it the 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 surfaces got that got softer yeah oh, well, well you know it's just like there's some good information oh there was more clip ball this year yeah right and, well you have to if you yeah. if you cultivate the surface so you punch a bunch of holes in it and you put sand top dressing on it so now you have to have recovery so you have to put more fertilizer and also doing that cultivation it decompacts the soil a little bit it gets more air into the soil so that stimulates growth plus you put fertilizer to get it to recover and of course you're going to get more growth and then if you get more growth, you can't get the green speed. And that kind of stuff is so like, like predictable. And I knew it was going to happen. And then we documented it. Well, I feel like some people don't realize that that stuff is going to happen. So they cultivate, they like core aerify and top dress and think that's going to make the greens firmer. But it doesn't. It makes the greens softer. And, and if you're not measuring it and not paying attention you can go through your life with a, with a slightly misguided view of what's happening from the work that you're doing, um, which, which I, I think is, uh, is something that we should always try to correct. That was the first time that Andrew had done any type of aeration in top. Well, I know he top dresses, but not nearly as much as the industry norm. Well, but even this year, first, yeah. Even, even this year, the sand amount is like one third of is less. He put less sand than uh, Chris Tritabal puts at Hazeltine, and and Chris Hazeltine is putting like a third of the industry norm. Or, yeah, I, or a third of the minimum recommendation, or something like that. So, um, it's not a huge amount of sand. But uh, when Andrew started there in 2013, when Andrew started at Kea Golf Club my recommendation was to do as much coring and as much top dressing as you could. He did that in 2013. He did it in 2014 and it just wasn't getting the, it wasn't making the surfaces firmer. And we just really struggled to get those holes to recover because it's, it's a warm season grass in a place with winter. And, and so you, uh, and you have a tournament in the summer. So it's just kind of tricky to punch those holes and get them to recover. So he moved more and more, towards not punching holes and not putting sand. And I was quite concerned about that because I am advising him and, and I was afraid that something, if he didn't core, if he didn't punch solid holes, if he didn't get sand into the profile, I was quite concerned that something would happen underground that we didn't notice initially that would come back to bite us later, perhaps during the tournament when it, rained a lot or the dew point changed or whatever and all of a sudden the surfaces would get too soft or the mowers would start scalping or balls would start plugging or something so as he started moving after 2013 2014 2015 and he just said i can't do this anymore it's not working the textbook way is not working so he cut back not because he like wanted to cut back but he had to to produce to try to get make the surfaces better so that's when we started doing OM246 and we started checking, figuring out how that method's going to work um, and what the numbers are going to mean. So we started doing that to make sure that nothing bad was happening and underground that we didn't see. And uh, so a lot of the stuff uh, was developed there and like 2017 uh, was the year, maybe 
maybe 2017 was the first year he didn't punch any holes. And then it, it went on for quite a while. He did, he did core uh, in 2020 when uh, they didn't have a tournament due to the pandemic. Um, and then 2021, 2022, there were no holes. And then I was like, 2023, let's go ahead and do this again. Let's, let's like maybe once every four years we can do this. And then we did it. And it's like, man, that's such a hassle. <laughs> and, and then this, the surfaces get softer. The grass grows more. You get more, more clipping yeah. volume. The green speed goes down. But it's like we know now what's going to happen. And it's just like how, how to refine it. But it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's pretty interesting to get really good surfaces that uh, that you can play high quality professional golf on, really high end member golf, and to do that with now uh, two coring events. That was the first. This year was the first time he's ever deep tied since uh, since he's been there. Uh, so that was the and first. And we say deep tied. That's a verted drain style, like going. That was a that was a verted drain machine um, with like a. Uh, I don't know eight eight inch or or it goes down high. and it gives it's so here. Let me get it goes it goes down into soil and gives it one of these and yeah, then it comes up. That's right. Like, Although we set it without without much of a kick on it um, for for this year. Okay, um, but I think that was the maybe the the second coring since uh, twenty fifteen or something like that. Um, so yeah, almost, almost a decade, just two, two coring events. Um, and the first deep time, uh, in, in over a decade. So, yeah, I mean, it, anyway, it's an interesting post. You can I check think it it's out. a great post. Yeah. I, I think people should. And then, uh, number six, new seminar section on the website. Not, uh, not terribly surprised why this one didn't cause it's, like it didn't get a huge number of views, but actually these seminar handouts have been getting quite a few views. Uh, I, I've got like a dozen of them up there now on, on the, the seminar handouts webpage. And, uh, when I, when I go to these, uh, events and make an online handout, a lot of people have been going to look at, look at these. Yeah. That's something I should, I'll probably do that this week. I, I don't, I haven't been looking at the seminar handouts. I, Listen, it's winter in Delaware. It's cold. I'm spending a lot of time in my office. Uh, recently reading uh, Mike Kaiser's book about band endurance and practical greenkeeping. Those are the books that I'm reading at work right now. And yeah, uh, I heard you. I heard you're reading practical greenkeeping. Yeah, it's. I, I'm really enjoying it. So I'm on the aeration chapter right now, and. Uh, do you remember? Yeah. Didn't I, didn't I tell you that I think greenkeepers in the UK, they just kind of they're just concerned about uh, decompacting the soil. So it's just like all about aeration and and putting seaweed or something like that. Yeah, I mean that's he recommends Jim Arthur, and uh, it was funny when uh, <laughs> remember when I was pushing back on Schaefer, and uh, I was I mentioned you, and I mentioned Jim Arthur the writer of uh of uh practical greenkeeping i didn't really know who he was uh because uh, what are they right he was it was such a just like a kind of a a passive aggressive remark he made where he said 
Oh, what I was talking about, it doesn't sound like you're a minimalist greenkeeper, and I was using examples about you. I think I was talking about micros. And uh, he his response was, Matt Schaefer's response was, oh, what are they, writers? What Nobody's getting their paycheck signed by anybody. And I was like, no. And I, I explained who you were. And uh, I didn't I've, really know who Jim Arthur is. Like, and so, like, that, that next day I went and looked him up. And listen, Jim Arthur's got some major credibility and um yeah he was consultant for the rna for the open championship venues for the longest time so he was uh yeah he's he's pretty famous legit and so yeah i just finished the top dressing and yeah he recommends that you top dress with an 80 20 uh no 90 10 he's like nah don't do a 90 10 his recommendation is just like an 80 with a 20%. And I think I'm reading the second edition, which came out in the late 90s. So it's a, a peat. It's a peat mixture. You go with a peat mixture, but I don't know. It makes sense. Oh, you grabbing it? I've got nice. the uh, I've got the third edition. Oh, cool. Yeah, I went. Yeah. The third edition was going to cost me like 90 bucks. Uh, I got the second edition which cost me 45 or something so yeah i'm yeah, loving it, it though it's really cool i like it it's a good read he's he's it's so a, it's so british uk style the way he writes and, the, and his terminology and just the i love it it's so good yeah and and i like it um and i like to pull quotes from it i think my grammar of greenkeeping approach which you can read about in the short grammar of greenkeeping uh, that I, I think my approach works better around the world because the problem that you have with practical greenkeeping is he'll say something like you never need to apply phosphorus, which is probably true in the UK with that kind of climate and with that type of soils. You know, once once there's enough in the soil, you should just be fine. But it's not going to work like if you go to Ho Chi Minh City or or Colombo or Dhaka or you know, Sydney or something. It's like, it's just a little bit different when you go change the climate and you change the grass types. And I think the thing about practical greenkeeping is it's, is it's very regionally uh, accurate, but it doesn't uh, transfer all over the world so well. And that's where I think, um, that's where I think my approach can be a little bit more useful for anybody. You know, if you're in Perth, if you're in Auckland, if you're in Johannesburg, or if you're in London, it's going to work. Wilmington, Delaware. If you're in Wilmington, Delaware, Toronto, wherever. So gotcha. um, let's no, see. but so which 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 brings me back. Yeah, I'm going to get this week. I'm going to check out some seminar handouts for sure. Check it out. Yeah, the, like uh, what I try to do is uh, is I update it. So I'll put the slides on there, and then when people ask me questions. Like, can you explain how this works? Or what do you think about when it's winter time and should we be pushing the grass? How does that work or something? If people ask questions and then sometimes I want to answer uh, or put that on the handout, I will. So um, I I can add extra information. So I think um, it's interesting just to browse through those. Um, Let's see. We're down to the top five now. Number five, putting green data from measurement to summary. Uh, I think it's useful to understand how numbers work. Yeah, I, the surface firmness is, listen, I don't have a way to measure surface firmness except 
the Jason Haynes method. It's too soft. It's medium. It's too firm. Right. Those are the three. That's how I measure firmness on a green. It, do you, and I found, Micah, and this is anecdotal. I find that the firmer the green, the 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 better it rolls. Would you say that firmness correlates to green performance, green roll in a way that's positive? Hmm. No, uh, I I wouldn't quite go that far because if you if you think about like a a concrete surface, it's quite firm, but the ball is going to tend to bounce across it. Um, okay, and so uh, I I think you have to get greens to be pretty soft. Uh, I I guess there's like an optimal firmness level is what I what I mean to say. Because uh, if greens get too soft, they get footprints and and stuff like that, and then then the quality of the roll gets pretty bad. But um, if surfaces are too firm, as surfaces get firmer and firmer, the ball is also not going to roll as smoothly. Because there's something about having that soft, uh, a certain level of softness that the ball can roll across. So um, I, I think there is a maximum firmness that that would would uh, optimize the smoothness. Okay, so you're. I see you have this chart right here, and you're scrolling up. So, wh- what about this? Uh, what about this blog? Well, should we take away from it? Well, I, I think it's useful to understand how numbers work, um, and so uh, the this is just simply saying if you're looking at the average so i show i'm just showing how i distill it down to the average but i'm just showing all the individual measurements first and just saying it's very quite variable and then we're looking at that individual number um because that's what people want is they want to know what's the firmness today um and and so i do that for soil moisture and i do that for um for green speed i do that for bobble test people just want to know one number but actually, the measurements are quite varied, and I just like to show how I go about doing that and how I suggest for greenkeepers, I recommend if you're working with measurements, go take the measurements uh, on at least three holes, on three greens per 18 holes, so you can capture some of that variability. And in fact, I, uh, I make multiple measurements per green to, so I can check the, the variability within a green and between greens. And, and I think that if we're trying to make things as consistent as possible, we need to check what the variability is also. So that was just like a throw-together blog post of showing four, four or five charts in sequence that go from all the data to the data averaged by whole, averaged by whole and then to the data averaged by all the holes put together. And and you see that the spread was, was quite different. Yeah. Uh, again, another information, another informative blog that probably should have some more views. I, I don't know. Some have to finish bad. I... I, uh, I I think most people aren't interested in that kind of stuff, obviously. But uh, let's see. What what else? Um, so 
uh, I think we're down to number four. A couple of these are quite good. Yeah. So number this this one is the one additional chatter yeah, sneaking event in every this. third ball roll. Yeah, I think this is the one I got confused with the. Uh, well, I I would I got have too confused with I, the with the with the KBC diary one and this one. It was well, in this I, one where. Go ahead. Well, I I would have mentioned it in both of them. Be but yeah, if if you're measuring the bobble test, uh, be, because of the scoring scale, I have another blog post that shows that uh, scoring scale, and uh, if you have. If you're unsure if you've had a, a chatter or a snaking event, then you get a nine. If you clearly see one chatter or snaking event, it gets an eight. And if you clearly see two, then it gets a seven. And so then the way it works out is if you're dropping down by 0.3 bobble score units, then it means one out of every three rolls had an additional imperfection in the roll. And that is what this blog post was about. And, and I understand that a lot of people don't do the bobble test. Um, I, and that's fine, but I like it. And uh, uh, I like to explain how it works. Yeah, I'm going to be on the bobble test this year. Uh, we talked a lot about that on, our, on the uh, Michael Woods annual holiday special whatever it's called. We did talk about that and I'm going to be on the bobble test. And um, I think this is what I think. I think the title, if you would have given it something more I, catchy, right? And I know titles are hard to come up with. I remember when I was writing for uh, Golfdom and I had to come up with the with the title for the for the column. I was very bad at coming up with the title. Usually it was uh, Seth Jones or or somebody on their staff coming up with the title. And I just thought that maybe you could do something. The title was one additional chatter or snaking event on every third ball roll. It should have been maybe you could have gone like Seinfeld style and been like chatter. What's chatter? So every third roll, I don't know, something to maybe something that's going to get you the click. I, that was just kind of my takeaway. I read the piece. I thought it was interesting. The information was interesting. And I thought, and this is just me thinking about it. Perhaps the title just needed to be a little bit more catchy. Yeah. It, it, the, the title is, is, is big. Uh, I, I try not to do clickbait too much with the thumbnails or with the, um, with the yeah, titles. I wanted to stay. I wanted to stay away from the clickbait. I, I didn't want you to get click because this isn't clickbaity information. But it's something I don't know. I don't know how you could have titled it better. Uh, uh, and I that's should, just a small I little crucial. Like, it's small, just a small little, you know. Yeah. Well, I I thought the next one, the uh, the Tour de France, I think was the next one. That's a uh, great. That's a great title. That's a nice title. But that finished yeah, number dude. three. So that's so good. Yeah, like Tour de France de Michael Woods. Um, a great poster. A, a great poster. That photo, I think, was 2015. So uh, yeah, yeah. I, I tried to. I tried to keep my images updated. You see, like John Kaminsky's been using that particular photo of him from a, a laboratory, uh, from you know probably like a 2000. 
11 era photo or something like that. And every now and then I'll use an old one, but I I tried to keep it updated because um, on the cover of my book, um, so this is uh, my Micah Nojikan, the book. Let's see. I'll Uh uh, I'll bring it. uh, I'll make it larger. Yeah. So, this is a this is a picture of me that was taken in 2007, I think. That's the book cover, and every time people um, see uh, that that book, which is a lot, it's it's on its uh, second or maybe even its third printing by now. Yeah, um, I so forget. people That's... see that. Go ahead. I'm people sorry. people see that, and they're like, "When was that picture taken?" And I'm like, "Well, that was the one that we decided to put on the cover, but it was almost 20 years ago." So yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's it's good to show one that's updated. I forget who it was, but I I said, thought to myself, "Holy moly, they need to upgrade their their stock photo because it was a photo of them so many. It might have been Kaminsky. It might have been Kaminsky." Yeah, because he he uses this one and it's like, dude, that it's it's an old picture, um, and so. Anyway, yeah, right? but yeah, so so this uh, um, this one from France, it's just like announcing seminars. So I understand, like, if we're just announcing seminars, people uh, don't get so excited. So that's quite predictable. Yeah, that's a predictable one. Uh, I can honestly say I probably didn't click on that one, Mike. I'll, I'll, I'll admit. Now. How was France? How is a uh, this one's great? Can a soil sample dry too much? This one's pretty rad. But real quick about France, I, I, Paris. What a wonderful place to have a turf seminar. How was it? It was. Uh, you see on my Instagram page, I've put up that picture from the from the golf course where we had the seminar. Looking looking down, and you can see the Eiffel Tower. It's it's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So that's. Uh, it's great. I I really enjoyed the seminars in France, and um, there are some really advanced uh, turfgrass management techniques being uh, employed there. And uh, yeah, it was it was terrific. I had really good translation and a really really great uh, group of people who attended those seminars, and uh, a lot of people who are interested in things like MLSN clipping volume, the growth ratio, uh, and, and all this kind of stuff. And it, it's exciting for me to realize that these techniques that I find so useful, they, they can be used all over the world and, and they make sense, uh, to people in France, in Australia, in South Africa and all over. That's cool. So again, the question, do you present in English? Is your French good enough to present it in French? In French, how does that work out? Or do most people in attendance understand enough English to get by? Oh, I think uh, people can get the general gist of it uh, when I'm speaking in English. Um, but yeah, we have translation, so uh, I I speak for a few sentences or a paragraph, and then uh, that gets translated and. And I think what I'm going to say next, and then I then I talk again. So, um, cool. Yeah, yeah, just interested in that. Just interested in how that goes down. 
and I think that's we, cool, man. Yeah, it's awesome. And the and the slides, see, the slides were in uh, in French. So um, if you go to that seminar page on my website and check the slides, they'll be in French. And so people are looking at slides that are already in French, and then I'm talking in English, but I'm talking about things. If we're all in the turfgrass business, everybody kind of understands like the general idea of what we're talking about, and then the details. It's getting translated, so it works good. Yeah. So Jason Haynes was doing a program in Halifax, and he had to go to French. I, I could probably follow along somehow because it's it's the language, it's the international language of greenkeeping that we call kind of understand. Grammar of greenkeeping. There you go. There we go. Um, and then uh, I think the number two post of the year for for the least views was can soil samples dry too much. I think uh, I think this is pretty important. Uh, I hope ten years from now that more people dry their soil samples. Um, this was a question from a, a soil testing client uh, who who said, "Hey, I collected these samples. They've been drying for a long time. Sorry, I haven't been able to get them in the mail yet." can they dry too much? And the answer is no. And I showed uh, a picture from the park grass experiment, which is, uh, well, it's, it's from the archive at Rothamsted. Um, but these samples were from, from the park grass experiment from plot 11 two, and the samples were collected wow, yeah. February and March, 1876. That's a, pretty awesome. And, and those samples have been stored in these uh, corked bottles since 1876. And yeah, you do have like slight certain changes with certain things, but the, the soil at the laboratory is going to be dried before it's analyzed anyway uh, for a routine soil analysis, soil nutrient analysis. Uh, it, it will be dried as a matter of course, you might as well dry it first. It'll reduce your shipping cost, but more importantly, it's going to stop microbial activity. It's going to stop mineralization. It's going to stop ion exchange. And I think that when we sample a soil, we want to know what the soil conditions were like when it was still in the soil. We don't know what, want to know what the conditions were like when it's been wet in a bag at undefined temperature for two weeks. And so, um, I, I recommend drying soil samples before sending them to a laboratory. And it's not common. I, I think the average, the, the typical uh, person is just going to take a sample and ship it to the lab. But I, I, yeah, don't, I, mean, I don't I recommend remember, it. I remember when I was at New York Country Club and I had some soil tests done. And the person I sent them to, I did not try out the soil. I didn't know. I didn't know until you started talking about this. Pretty much this year. Yeah. Twenty three. Not twenty four. Twenty three. Well I, I had no idea. I've I think I've mentioned it a couple of times. Uh but yeah, it's like Larry stole from from uh the, the founder of Pace Turf with Wendy Galerter. Um they had had done a lot of soil testing over the years and often got different nitrogen results than I did. And Larry never recommended drying. And so people are sending samples that are wet to the lab and they end up with much higher nitrate levels than I would ever get. But my samples, I dry before I send them to the lab and then you get much less nitrate. And 
And I kept telling Larry, like, I don't think that you you really have more nitrate in your soils. I just think it's it's an artifact of the way that you're handling the samples. Um, and there's, I mean, that's just the way it is. It's what happens. You, you get mineralization uh, happening <laughs> and you get conversion to nitrate uh, as, as you have more air in the soil. And, and you, so you get that air happening. You got higher temperatures and usually you'll get higher temperatures and you'll get um, more air in the sample as it's wet, making its way to the laboratory. And it's better just to dry it and it'll stop all of that. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I listen. We're gonna get some soil tests together, and guess what? They're gonna be dry. Yeah. When are we? When are you gonna get that done? Are you gonna do that with I ATC? Or are you gonna? Hope, are you gonna do that with? Week. You doing that with ATC? Or are you doing that with? We're, with another company? We're gonna do some with ATC. We're gonna do our OM two four six, and I'm gonna send you some soil tests. We're definitely doing our OM two four six with you. Okay. Nice. That's yes. Uh, that's good. So let's uh, discuss the details of those and make sure that those samples get collected and handled uh, very carefully. I, Absolutely. I, 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 I'll talk about something now that is just on my mind and it's not really related to these bottom 10 posts, but it's, it's something that's a little bit boring perhaps for some people, but it's so important. Soil testing is like a four step process and that process, the, the four components of it are sampling, laboratory analysis, interpretation, and then a recommendation based on that interpretation. So there's those four steps. And I think that the sampling tends to be a little bit haphazard. The laboratory testing, the second part, is very standardized. If you're using something like MLSN for interpretation and recommendation, that's very standardized. So you've got, you've got some parts that are quite standardized, but the way people collect and handle samples is all over the place. You'll find some people are going to remove the thatch from a sample. Other people are not going to remove thatch from a sample. Some people dry the sample. Some people don't dry the sample. Some people collect very carefully to a four inch or 10 centimeter depth. Other people are collecting to the depth of the root zone at the particular, however they want to feel the depth of the root zone is at that time. Other people are collecting to the mat layer of like where the soil color has changed. Um, you know that people, some people are collecting to six inches. Some people collect to eight inches. It's all over the place with the sampling. And I think that there's an opportunity to really have more standardization in sampling. And that, that is something that I think could really help people get even better use out of soil testing. It makes sense. I know that I, I've always done four inch. You, you go anytime that I've had to collect the soil sample myself, and I've been doing this for... Jeez, Michael, over 20 years. Uh, 98 is when I started in this business. I probably collecting samples in the early aughts, uh, to, if we're going to be technical or honest about it. So, yeah, it's always been four inches. You get that, you get that soil probe and you just get your ruler and you either get a Sharpie or a piece of duct tape and you mark it at the four inches and you take it 
to that four inch but you know i've always left that tough to grass with the organic material attached to that four inches am well, i doing good, it right good for you that's how i currently recommend it but there were a number of years earlier in my career when i removed it and and for my phd research uh, i removed that i pinched off the the grass and now I recommend for standardization, I recommend leaving it on. The laboratory has machines that remove it. Let the machines remove it so it's consistent every time. And um, so I'm, I, I've been working on this. Also, like how many subsamples do you take? When you, if you're going to go sample your practice putting green for nutrients, so, so you're going to check pH, soil organic matter, potassium phosphorus you're going to go down to a four inch depth how many subsamples are you going to take with that probe to make up that one sample that's representative of that putting green yeah i'd probably take anywhere from six to twelve so you take six to twelve and i did a survey recently on twitter or on x and yeah. asked that question and i think that was number one was like in that six to twelve range or yeah. or uh, and uh, but it's only like forty five percent of the people answered that, so you realize. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of things that surprise me about that. Number one is the recommendation from Rutgers and from Penn State is to take twelve or more. Okay, so so you've already got like the number one answer is people are doing less than is recommended, and then and then. Even so, that's less than half the people are doing that. So there's this wide range. Some people are taking less than five. Some people are taking more than 12. And, and it's just like all over the place how samples are collected. And it's like, if you want to go talk to John Jacob, John, is it Jacob or Jacobs? John Jacob. John Jacob. So, so he did some sampling last year and like, you know, he'll sample in a certain way. And then if you sample in a different way, but then you want to compare those results, like, like there's a potential, even though like the lab procedure would be the same, the MLSN interpretation and recommendation would be the same because those are standardized. But if you haven't standardized the way you collect the samples, that is, um, you know, that's, that, that, that makes it difficult to compare. And I think, um, with how precise greenkeeping gets these days, we have an opportunity to standardize the soil testing a little bit. So well, I like, sure like the soil sampling, uh, right? Yeah. Like I'm sure you'll be at the lead of that. I, I don't doubt that you'll be leading that charge. Oh yeah. I'm like the drying and stuff that if you talk to John Emerson, he doesn't, he doesn't like drying samples and I keep trying to explain to him why I recommend it. And he's, and, but he like wants to get the sample to the lab as soon as possible. So he thinks that like somehow I'm delaying the time that it gets to the lab. But I'm like, but it's, it's wet when it's going to the lab. So I want to dry it as soon as possible because it's going to dry at the lab anyway. So yeah, I, I think there's, there's definitely some, uh, uh, it, it's difficult what to is standardize. That? What does Kreuzer think? I know he does a lot of soil sampling. What's what's his what's his uh, take? I know the Greenkeeper app does soil sampling. It, it sold at what's what sold at stake? Do you know? Uh, if I remember what sold at says, uh, and we, and we've talked about this before. We in fact we have an entire ATC double cut 
episode that's on the topic of uh, avoiding mistakes in in soil sampling or or just in the soil testing process in general, just avoiding mistakes. Um, and if I remember right, what he recommends is uh, do what you've always done. So don't change it. Like sample at the same time of year, sampling the same way that you did previously, send to the same lab that you did previously. Uh, and just so just that you're doing just everything. Yeah. Be consistent. And I, I don't, I think I want to be a little bit more strict than that. And I want to say, if you're not like, let's say you're sampling to three inches and it would be better to sample at four inches. Then I say, just fix it now, just change to sample to four inches. So now you can compare it to everybody else. Um, let's say that you've been sending the samples wet to the lab. Well, you, I would just say like, just start, I would like to say, let's just everybody start now to do it better instead of saying, you know, well, I've been taking the top two inches off because I have a, a lot of that and just sending that. Like, I don't recommend that. Let them, let them laboratory machinery yeah, decide what's that and, yeah. what, and what's not. Well, so, I'm having uh, somebody on very soon who's going to be doing soil tests and I'll ask that person. Yeah, I think, I think it's good. And, and it's something that I want to revisit, um, and you know who would be interesting to ask also is uh, Travis Shaddix, right? Because he yeah. he might be opinionated about that, and and I hope he would because he would be like the perfect person to explain the four uh, the four steps of soil testing because he I think that he's very familiar with sampling, laboratory testing, interpretation, and recommendation, and I. I just don't see where sampling is is as standardized in the turf grass industry as I think it could be, and and especially with that uh, the number of subsamples that get recommended, and and I've done some research that suggests that maybe we can do equally good. In fact, theoretically, we'd, we'd get better recommendations by taking one sample from your practice putting green rather than six to twelve. Dude, I'm all bad. That's a lot easier than it's, six to twelve, dude. And so since I've when I collect samples, I'm just shocked at how much time it takes. When I would typically take five, I used to take five samples to represent an area, and it takes forever to take five. And then I see people taking. Some people told me they take almost thirty. They're like as many as they can, but they're like generally wow. from twenty to thirty. I'm like, holy cow. I think it takes a lot of time to do five subsamples. Shipping costs on that? Well, I mean, you're supposed to not send... The thing is, you're supposed to be taking a subsample out of that. That's If you read the instructions from Rutgers or for Penn State, they'll say, take 12 or more subsamples, put them in a clean bucket, stir it up, and then take a subsample out of that with enough material to meet the lab's minimum requirement. But I think it's really problem problematic when you have grass and thatch and stems and rhizomes and roots to really subsample out of that, especially when it's wet. Um, how do you how do you get an accurate subsample out of that? 
And if it's from a sand-based putting green, you're going to tend to be getting a lot more sand, which is lower in the profile, and less of the organic material. So again, I recommend sampling just enough material to meet the lab's requirement. Send that to the lab. Let the lab uh, take the sample out of it. So I don't like subsampling out of a bucket. Um, so the whole thing to me seems like it's, it's a ripe area for improvement. And speaking of ripe areas for improvement, how about this number uh, one post of the year for fewest views, the, the worst post of the year on botanical walks and circle cuts? I, I mean, I love a botanical walk, particularly ones where you go on botanical walks and explain what you're seeing. And listen, I've never seen a circle mow on a bent grass green. I've seen them on Bermuda greens, never on a bent grass green. And it automatically made me want to try a circle cut on the greens that I'm managing. I, although I have some Poano on mine. So I don't know. Do you think it could be worth it to try on a Poano green? I, I think so. I I think it's a nice technique and it helps to avoid uh, you get like zero traffic on the green surrounds, which at certain times of the year, uh, the green surrounds don't need any traffic, but the green itself can be a little bit healthier. The grass is being mowed at an appropriate height. And I think with a good operator, that circle mow can be really good to help uh, deal with some grain issues, to deal with some unruly grass blade issues. And it's fast and, and you end up doing a triple, quadruple cut, whatever, on, on some of the green. So Anyway, those are two nice videos, but again, as I, as I mentioned earlier, a long, long time ago, not everybody likes to watch videos, and a lot of the people that read my blog are not the same people that, that want to sit down and watch a video, or if they watch a video, they'll do that through the YouTube app, but they're not like wanting to read my blog to watch a video. So um, I, I thought those were two really nice videos, and I wanted to share them because I was so excited about that uh, remake of my botanical walk video. And then I was excited to share that, uh, um, that circle mo video, but yeah, that something, someone, something had to finish last and that was it. Oh my goodness. Circle mo. I, I'm going to try it. I'm going to do it this year. I, yeah, I would try and, and, uh, yeah, just, just make you know gentle circles. You know what I'll do? I'll do a bobble test. And then I'll circle mo, and I'll do a bobble test and see if it helps. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And I think, yeah, you should measure the clipping volume and then do a circle mo and measure the clipping volume again. Again, There's yeah, totally. That's another great thing. I, okay, so what will be the difference in clipping volume when you circle mo as opposed to just doing a regular stripe? Oh, I, I would think that a circle mo would get... Uh, Twice, 2.5 times the clippings. Okay. I, I'm, I can't wait to try. I, I'm going to try it this year. Good. Well, yeah, so you've got all kinds of things to try. You're going to bobble test this year. Yeah, you're gonna try test. The, You're going to try the circle mo. You're going to do yes. some OM246 testing. One, so, one subsample per... <laughs> Yeah, at four inches. Yeah, dude, it's going to be it's a brand new year. Why do we make it so hard? 12 or more. Take it in a bucket. 
mix it all up. I I think get a subsample. It's just everything is so hard. Well, it's it's balanced soils. I I can understand why it's that way because I I think it's kind of designed for lawns. Maybe maybe it's originally people are thinking about lawns, and maybe they're thinking you're only sampling one lawn. So you want to make sure that you really represent your lawn soil. So they say take 12 or more subsamples. But on golf courses, I've always tested multiple greens. So I send like one sample from the putting green, one sample from green two, one sample from green three, one sample from green eight or something for, from nine holes. So I've, if I've tested multiple greens and each one of them has a sample, that's kind of the way that I do it. Um, but I think sometimes that that you need to take 12 subsamples comes from if you're only going to test one area. So like if you're if you just want to test one green and then you're going to extrapolate from that to everywhere, then you want to make sure that it's representative. But I don't know that it necessarily is representative, so that's why I don't want to just test one green. And I I don't know that this topic has been studied as much as it uh as it could uh be no i I think it makes sense to look into it for sure i I would love to know the variances what do you think obviously you don't think there's going to be much do you think the data would be muddled with more or do you think you get you you're you're you feel that the data is going to be just you're going to be so much more precise if you just take less samples and the way that you say to collect them meeting well, the four inch with everything the way that you want it to be done no are you soil testing to find the average or are you soil testing to find deficiency which one are you trying to do what do you care more about the average or about the i'm deficiency? trying to find deficiency right right like i'm trying to find if there's something that i need to add so it's better to have samples that are more variable so that you can capture the minimum and the maximum. But if you take 12 subsamples and you mix them all together, then you have variability in the soil, but you'll get uh, the, some areas have more phosphorus, some areas have less. And so you'll end up your, your, your samples that have a lot of phosphorus are going to overshadow the ones that have less. When you mix that all together, then on average, you're going to get some average, but you don't get your extremes. By doing the single core sampling that I'm so keen on doing now, and I'm not saying just do one core from one green and that's all you're testing. You still need to test like four or five greens so that you get a range of low and high. So the idea is we want to capture more of that variability. If we capture more of that variability, we should be able to identify deficiencies better than if we overshadow that by mixing all of our samples together. And that, that's why I'm saying, theoretically, this is better. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Uh, and it's easier. It's just easier to do. It, it is so much easier. And I speak from experience. It's uh, it's quite fun to do, uh, and right. I can go well, sample. I can get all the samples from a green from greens in fifteen minutes. <laughs> and, that's great. Yeah. And in, you know, I mean, I'm talking. I I could go sample six greens in fifteen minutes pretty easily. Well, um, if John Emerson were to do it last year, he did ours for oh god, when 2021 and or 2022 and the 23, he came in December, and 
It took him some days. It took because we have such a big property. It took, it him, took him days. About, took him days. I mean, he was out there. He was like, "Yeah, I'll come and do them all." And dude, he was like, he got to my course and it was two thirty, and I was said to John, "I was like, John, we're out of here, dude. You got you got to bring that card in, son." And uh, he's like, "Yeah, I guess I got to come back." And he he actually came back and I helped him with it. I said, "Just tell me." I know where to go here. I'm going to go sample some. And he came back like a week later and we finished all the sampling. It was because we were taking so many samples, right? We were, mm -hmm. we were doing it the, that way where we take, you know, 12 sub samples in an area and put it in a bag and mix it all up. And yeah, man. Well, yeah. So we'll, we'll see how this develops. But, I yeah. know, I know. Well, I, I can't wait to ask the person. Uh, I'm having a person on that does some soil testing. Uh, this person is a consultant, so I will ask that person. Yeah, the sampling procedure. Because, yeah, yeah I, I think it's interesting. And I've been thinking maybe I'll ask Travis, maybe I'll ask Doug, maybe I'll ask Bill. Um, I, I can ask Beth Gertall. Uh, there, there's various people that are involved with, with soil science a little bit to probably have some opinions about it so well uh, travis is a soil truther so i mean he should know yeah i think i think he could tell me if i was doing it wrong <laughs> so right uh yeah i i, I might ask him Probably yeah, that would be a good blog YouTube post video i i i have the idea to do a blog post now i can uh probably would not be the lowest ranked one of of 2024 i could just ask uh those people that i just mentioned and just say, please, please tell me how you recommend the sampling part. No, I think it's great. I think it's that great. That would be because, good. Because I don't think people realize. I, it's just it's like, I'll just go get the, uh, the, the, sam the core sampler, right? The Whatever that tool is called. Mm -hmm. God, it's I'm a core, core sampler. It. Yeah. Core sampler. Yeah. Just go get the core sampler and uh, go out there and collect some cores. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm down. I, I Listen, love it. Awesome. Well, anything else before we go, Joe? You, uh, I'll put a direct link to your podcast, The Talking Greenkeeper. Thank um, you. And I, I recommend to everybody. Some people even mention to me, like they're like, man, they'll look right to me and say, I listen to Joe's podcast. He's really doing a service to the industry. And I just thought that's, isn't that, a, that, that was nice to hear that, that people uh, appreciate the guests and conversations that that you uh, that you have. Yeah, that's so cool. I it, it's uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. I, and I love having those conversations. And I feel like it's gotten better. I I can't even listen to the early episodes. Can't even go back. I feel that they're so much better and, and fine-tuned. An episode back when I first started would last like two hours, two and a half hours, and it was a lot of just dribble. And now they've just tightened up to where I feel that I'm putting information out there that's good, where somebody can go out there, a golf course superintendent, can go out during the day and do a job and put their headphones in and and get some good information an assistant who is aspiring to become a golf course superintendent can get some valuable knowledge uh 
yeah, it's just really cool. People have said, oh, you should try and make it to where if so, if people listen to your podcast, they get credits. Uh, yeah, like they get educational credits. I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. It's going a little too far, but um, it is cool. It is cool, and uh, I, I take it very seriously. And uh, I want to put a good product out. So, yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad that people are enjoying the podcast. And uh, I'm going to keep going with it. Well, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule <laughs> to join me for this uh, episode. And uh, Of course. Anytime, Mike. Anytime. Uh, what, are you, what are you planning? Do you have anything planned for your birthday? I might go golfing. I, I, I have not played golf yet this year, so I may may i tentatively plan to go to the golf course that's cool that's awesome i got a really cool device now um invented by alexander grangs who's the equipment manager at shili golf club in south china i was just over in hong kong and he gave me a device that he invented which is a um uh, a prism gauge uh, effective height of cut gauge with a laser on it and, and the way that the laser works is it allows you to see where the top of the canopy is it's really cool and i want to take uh that to the golf course so okay yeah i, I want to go hit some golf balls uh maybe work on on keeping my handicap up but also uh maybe take some pictures of that device on uh zoysia putting greens so uh, I'm, I'm thinking of doing that very good yeah i don't know if you if you saw that on my Instagram, but uh, that's a, I, I think I'll do a blog post or maybe a, a update on Pace Turf about that. There you go. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, we just basically celebrated our my birthday yesterday. Monday is going to be just uh, my wife has I think Math Olympiad after school. Stevie has soccer practice up in King of Prussia, which is about a mile away. So it's just going to be another day for me. It's not going to be anything special, but I'll be thinking of you. Yeah, I'll think of you. Maybe I'll send you a message. Yeah, uh, of course. When of are you course. recording your next podcast? Is that on Tuesday. your birthday? Tuesday. No, oh, okay. Tuesday. On the third. I have a really fun episode. I, can, I cannot wait to do that. I've been thinking about this episode for a long time. Uh, no, it's not Gil Hans, uh, if anybody's wondering. <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, and uh, I still haven't gotten anywhere with that. So, again, I'm going to put the shout out. If you know, if anybody has a contact with Gil Hans, please let him know that I want to do a podcast with him about the Grateful Dead. And I would love to know how he became a, a deadhead and, and how the Grateful Dead might influence him as a golf course architect. I, I, I have some really great questions I would love to ask him in that regard. So if you know Gil Hans, if you have a way to get in touch with him, you don't have to give me his number, but just put it in his ear. Hey, there's this weirdo podcaster greenkeeper named joe galati that wants to do a, a, a an episode with you about the grateful dead so if you could just put it in his ear and tell him to go to his inbox at it on his work site there's a couple emails for him explaining what i want to do that that would be good maybe maybe you can talk to quinn thompson about that he uh he he knows the playlist pretty well he does what you know, no, Nelly Thompson. I, I love his kid's name. I can't believe he named his kid Nelly. That's such a good name. Yeah, that's that's a good one. It is so. a good one. Did you see his where he sang the song to Nelly? 
about what the key of kid or whatever it was like the i don't know dude, it was so good it was so good he's awesome yeah. quinn quinn is a, a smart fellow he's uh, one of a kind mm-hmm. yep yeah i would love to get quinn back on as well but no i'm really excited for this episode on tuesday it's uh with a good friend of mine in the turf grass business and we're gonna talk some turf but we're gonna talk some i'll give a little hint we're gonna talk some how to improve the PGA Tour. We're going to talk about how just some things that the PGA Tour could do to how make it more interesting. Maybe bring Anthony Kim back. I know. I, I mean, that's great. That'll get that'll get some people interested. But mine are more. Uh, OK, so let me give one example. I'll give one example. All right. Of what I'm going to bring up and. I don't know if everybody is going to listen to this one. So here's one of my things to make the PGA Tour more interesting. All right, Micah. So just say you and I are playing in a PGA Tour event, and I tee one up, and I blast it OB. And right now that means that stroke and distance is basically a two-stroke penalty, right? Mm-hmm. And I have to re-tee it, and I be that's my third shot off the tee, right? Like, I re-tee it. If I hit one OB, I put a peg in the ground, I put another Pro V1 on that peg, and I drive it again, and I'm on the fairway hitting four into the green. That would be basically it if it's a par four, correct? Yes. Okay, so here is my – here's where it's a little different. In that situation, I blast one out of bounds. Okay, I have the option of just teeing it up and playing it, but I can take my ball and put it on the ground. And I can use the same club that I just used to blast it out of out of bounds with, but with no penalty, and I have to hit a driver off the deck. Do you understand what I mean? So now you're hitting two off no, the tee? No, 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 no. There's no penalty, but... You take your ball and you have to hit driver off the deck and play it as it lies with hitting driver off the deck. So that's your penalty for hitting it at bounds. But you can take a mulligan, but you can't use a tee. You got to hit it off the deck. Hmm. Okay. Well, that that would be that would be interesting. Totally would be interesting. I mean, okay, Roy. Remember when Rory pumped one out of bounds on number ten at Augusta? Well, I don't know if he pumped. I don't know that he pumped that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he pulled, one, pulled, pulled, pulled one. Yeah, yeah, pulled hooked with it out of bounds. I forget what year, but wouldn't it have been cool if he could have just been like, just taking a ball out of his pocket and put it on the ground and tried to hit it off the deck? Yeah, but and then like, that's that's not that difficult. Like, uh, I imagine they only lose thirty yards or something. Yeah, but he could pump another one out of bounds. And if you pump another one out of bounds, guess what? That's maybe it's like you're hit laying eight. You know, it's just like I yeah, don't know. That's just I, one of my hair breaks. Well, you can you can do that, but then you're not playing golf anymore. So the the thing about golf is by playing by the rules. And uh, well, I'm saying the rules are kind of fucking beat, and they need to change them to make it more interesting. That's what I'm should, saying. That's yeah, what the whole should, episode is going to be about. Well, it's you should be like you should talk to Lou Stagner again and talk about uh, uh, free drops from divots. Oh, I know, I know. That's another. I mean, He's, you know he I'm seems saying? to be all all over that. I I don't quite get. It. I I thought it's just like play the ball as it lies. It's like why would you yeah. even question that? 
and for to, I didn't realize that there's so many people out there that want free drops from divots. I'm like, uh, to me, that doesn't seem like golf, but I guess I don't keep up with. Yeah, with people, people. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, listen, I, I've been playing golf long enough to realize if you get in a divot, you're just gonna have to hit it out of it. But if they change the rule to where you can get if you can get relief from a divot, I'm all for it. Awesome, thank you. I'll take it. But no, I have some other like crazy ideas. Um, for well, look- you know that was just one one. So like, but I have I have a laundry list of things that they could well, do to kind of make good. the game more interesting. So so don't share them all here, and I'll I be sure to I listen won't. to that episode. All right, Joe. Well, thank you so much yeah, for joining me Micah. on the ATC Double Cut today. I appreciate you having me, Micah. And uh, next year, I can't wait to rejoin you. Or maybe, hey, anytime. If you want to have me anytime, I'm available anytime to come on the Double Cut with you, Micah. So thanks for having me. I appreciate that. Thank you, Joe. And uh, I'm sure that you will be back. In the meantime... Uh, I will sign off now for ATC from Trong, Thailand. I'm Michael Woods. Bye-bye.